0: Good morning. Yeah, let me just go and get this for a moment. If you could see your faces right now. You want to know what that is, don't you? It's not a moth catcher, don't be ridiculous. No, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay, I'm going to read to you this morning from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. We've been talking a lot about change, and if there's no change, there's no growth. See, a young lady came in here this morning, you see him come in a bit, Sophia, I didn't recognize her, I haven't seen her for yonks. And she walks in, I think, who's this young lady? You're a little girl, you can't be you. But she's turning into a young, there's growth and there's change. And there's been a lot about stepping up. When my wife did that ridiculous thing of climbing up a ladder, she wanted to do a zip wire from one end to the other of the church. So I put my foot down. I says, you're not doing that. No, she didn't really. But, but there's been a lot about building Growing, change, and change is here to stay. And there's there's an account in the Bible of how one kingdom developed into another kingdom. It was the kingdom of Saul, the first king of Israel. How that came to an end and was superseded by the kingdom of David. And it marked a significant change. So let me just read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, It says this, that the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. Isn't that great? You know, there's a couple of things there. Samuel was told, how long will you mourn Saul? Because I've rejected him. Stop mourning for the one I'm not blessing anymore in that sense. The kingdom I'm not blessing anymore. Why hang on to that? I've chosen one of the sons of Jesse. So he took some oil. Do you remember that last time I spoke, I poured that anointing all over Nikki. She really didn't trust me, did she? She just really didn't trust me. I was mortified. But Samuel took the oil to anoint David as the new king. Okay. I'll just leave a bit out, but um, when they arrived, saw Samuel saw Eliab, and that's the eldest son of Jesse, okay, he said, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, but the Lord said to him, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him, the Lord does not look at the things people look at, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse went through all the other ones. And then it says this, he had seven sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. He will, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features then the Lord said rise and anoint him for this is the one so Samuel took the horn of oil anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David Samuel then went to Ramah. Amen what a difference an anointing makes now let's have a little competition shall we who's up for a competition how about Darren, mate? Would you come? Go at me. Look. I've got five screws here and five screws there. Choose your weapon. Okay? Now, we need to have a race. Yeah. It's the first one to do all those, or can you time a minute? Or the, the most in a minute, all right? You can tell Are us. You Put them in. You know we're putting them in, don't you? Yeah, yeah okay. Okay. Alright, ready? Okay, fine. Hang on. Give us a okay. Well, <laughs> Most unfair, but I don't care. Do you know what? Screwdrivers are great if you want to put screws in. And um, cool, that looks dangerous, doesn't it? Look at that. It's off that. It's, it's a pin sticking up. Oh, health and safety. Um, screwdrivers are great. And I've, these are some of my ones from home, and I've used these for years. This one's really good because it's a crosshead that way, and it's a slot head that way. How good is that? It's one of my favorites. But you know, if you're doing a lot of screws, screwing is hard work. But when you've got one of those super-duper Bosch, it rocks. Now, sometimes you need a screwdriver. I mean, if if Mark's doing one of his uh, very fine bits of work on a a guitar, you don't want a... You do, all right. But, for a, but really, for a lot of, if you're doing a lot, it's so much easier when you've got a power tool. Do you know, I believe with all my heart that God wants to anoint us with his empowering because when we actually serve him with the power that he provides, it's a whole lot easier. Darren was at a total disadvantage then, and I knew it. Why do we do things the way we've done them when God has got his way of doing them now, which is going to work better because it's his way? Um, I could stretch this whole thing. You know, that battery waits upon the power. (laughs) It runs flat if you don't charge it up, a bit like us. But you plug it in and it's got the power to do the job. Self-effort or God's power. You see, Saul was the first king of Israel. And as many of you will know, he was replaced by David. Saul started well. And it's a shame, you know, when people start well, because that's not the important bit. The important bit is finishing well. Saul started well, he was anointed, he was anointed by Samuel, he was anointed with God's empowering, he prophesied, he set a town free from its enemies, he became quite a good king for a short while, but then things started to go wrong and the flaws in his character started to come to the fore. The truth is, you know, both Saul and David had appalling (laughs) behaviour, they really did, And I think that's something we can identify with. Uh, Samuel was really disappointed with Saul because he was disobedient to what he said. But David, I, I tell you what, he committed adultery and murder. He literally did. He saw this woman, slept with her, found out that she was married and her husband was at the front fighting the battles. He said bring him home so that he could sleep with her. I can cover up my uh, sin because she became pregnant. That didn't work. So he sent him back and said to the commander, make sure he gets killed. Isn't that wicked? Isn't that awful? And David, the man after God's heart, the king of Israel, the new king, did all that stuff. But there was something in the heart of David that was not in the heart of Saul. And in that verse 1 there, it talks about Samuel Saul and David. Saul was yesterday's man. He refused to accept it. And after this happened, he continued to be king with yesterday's anointing. Samuel was today's man who didn't want to be it, but he had a difficult situation, a transition, and he had a responsibility before God to bring that about. And he also, uh, and it was a difficult, Difficult situation. And then David was tomorrow's man, and yet he didn't know it. You know, after he was first anointed, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. But, you know, it took 20 years of him not being king before he stepped into his calling. So there needs to be an openness to change. Talking about change. There comes a time when we stop defending what doesn't work anymore. There comes a time when you stop saying that these screwdrivers are the very best when actually, when you've got a lot of work to do, those ones are better. There comes a time when we recognize that God's moving on from what he's done and been doing and we need to catch up and keep in step with what he's doing so that we can effectively live for him and serve him. He said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. And I don't believe God rejects people. He rejects what they do. He loves people but hates their sin. And Samuel was mourning for Saul, looking back to Saul, he was disappointed with Saul, but God said to him, right, it's time to move on and it's possible to love the way we do things and the security it gives more than the Lord we're called to serve. We do things because we always do them. Do you know there was a lady who had um, uh, a problem with bleeding for years and years and years and it's in Mark chapter 5 and it says a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years! She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She was desperate, so she kept going to one doctor after another doctor, and for 12 years she didn't get any better. She kept doing the same old thing. She spent all that she had. It cost her a fortune. Yet instead of getting better, it says she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, in the human way of thinking, that's ridiculous but it was something new that Jesus gave her the opportunity to do, and it says there, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt her body was free from suffering. There was an ineffectiveness in what she had been doing, and there was no solution to it, yet she kept doing it. She went from one doctor to the, and I don't blame her for that. And you know, there was a time to persist, and there's also a time... When the presence of God is not there and we need to do something different. We need to embrace and use change to be effective in reaching people. You know, when I, I'll tell you what, I went to a Bible college a long time ago. And it's, in a, it's still there, but they've actually got electricity and running water now. <laughs> they had running water, it was called the river. Um, no, it wasn't that bad, but, but it, it was a bit sparse, but it's quite nice there. You know? And it's in this little village in North Nottinghamshire called Mattersea. And it's a, a tiny little village, and uh, all these Bible students who came there, you get an intake every year, got put into teams to do evangelism. So we got sent to places. We were, got sent to a place called Gainsborough in Lincolnshire, we got sent to Doncaster, we got, and there was one team who got the real short straw and had to go to about the 30 or 40 houses in this village of Mattersea. And they had to do it because it was Tuesday afternoon. And that's in the timetable. Got to do evangelism. So you've got to knock on your door and disturb people who don't want to know and tell them about Jesus who they don't want to know about. And what really knocked it on the head was this, this wet behind the ears Bible student knocked at the door, the door opened, and he said hello, and the person behind the door said, oh it's you this year, is it? (laughs) Look, every year we get a new face, not interested. Do you know, something told us that that wasn't working. It wasn't not just working, it was actually putting people off. Oh, knows it this time. Oh, another one. So, we had to pray about it. And we changed the approach. So we knocked at the door. The door opened. And we said... We're your neighbors in this village. Um, Is there some way that we can help you? Or do you know of any people in this area that we can help? Are there any older folks on their own that would appreciate any shopping done? The gardening done? Is there anything? If there's not, that's absolutely fine. Do you know what? The whole spirit of that village towards the, the Bible college changed. Boom. Uh, there's a thriving church in that village now, actually. And I used to go and see this lady called Miss Snowden. And, you know, I really became friends with her. And I was able to talk to Jesus with her. Talk about Jesus with her. And I believe she gave her life to the Lord before I moved on and she passed on as well. But I'll tell you something, it's because we befriended her And we change the approach. Is there something similar, I think, to what we're doing in the community here? Because we value people. We don't treat them like things to convert. We treat them like human beings who are living, breathing people with personalities who have needs, but also can be a blessing to us as well. We don't treat people like uh, projects. We treat people with respect and love. They're not things to convert, they're people to bless. You know, we need to, re, we need to embrace change. Hey, do you know what, there's a ah, change. We need to be open to change. And I am so glad that, that people like Astrid are young. Because they do things that I don't understand. I, I was trying to get on that Dropbox thing. And I was about to sort of tear my hair. And she said, no, that's just one little, one little problem. We'll get over it. You want a password? Oh, for goodness sake, not another password. I don't want to do another password. And then there's that mysterious thing called Facebook. I don't get Facebook. I just don't understand Facebook. And yet a lot of you people have got it. Who's got Facebook? Oh, it's disgusting. It, but you do it. It's, I read this, this is good, this, look, look, I, I read this on Twitter as it happens. I do Twitter, I don't read really send tweets, but if it's good enough for the leader of the free world to run the world and America on tweet, Twitter, it's good enough for me. All right, but anyway, but this, this guy, this guy wrote this on, on Twitter about Facebook. He said this, he said, look, I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles, all right? Therefore, every day, I walk down the street and tell passers-by what I've I've eaten, how I feel at the moment, what I've done the night before, and what I will do later, and with whom. I give them pictures of my family, my dog, and of me gardening, (laughs) taking things apart in a garage, watering the lawn, standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch, and doing what anybody and everybody does every day. I also listen to their conversations, give them the thumbs up, and tell them I like them. And it works, it works. Just like Facebook, I already have four four, four people following me. Two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. (laughs) <laughs> but I do understand that as a church, we need to embrace Facebook if we're going to communicate. As long as you do it and not me, that's fine. fine. No, I really, seriously, I value the fact that you can you can do that because I, 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 I got the Facebook act once and it lasted about t- oh I can't be doing this rubbish. I Deleted it. But we need to embrace change and be relevant, otherwise we lose it. (laughs) Do you know, we also, in our hearts and in our lives, need to embrace change. Have you been going round and round in circles in your spiritual life, in your practical life, in your job life? Are there things that actually you need to break out of because they're not working? It happens. You know, our personal lives, situations, they need to change sometimes. So we need an openness to change. There's a focus of our faith as well that differentiates between Saul and David. There are lots of culture challenges and pressures and expectations in our world. And you know, if we allow ourselves to be defined by standards in the society in which we live, we'll lose our focus on God. Saul was very, very susceptible to peer pressure. When the pressure came and people started saying, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, he, he, he bowed to it and he, had, and he did things that were wrong. He listened to uh, what he thought and what other people said rather than what God said. You see, we're called to have our focus on Jesus. There's also a, a challenge of trust. Amen. Oh, man it's so hard sometimes when things are looking really bad to actually trust that God has got it when it doesn't feel like he's got it but we are called to be people of faith trusting in God's provision trusting in his ways rather than taking control ourselves Um, I said that I went to Bible college That was back in, I don't know how to say this really, except I'm just going to say it was in 1978. Hallelujah, 78. I rode up there on a horse. (laughs) Um, Anyway, and I had a normal job, you know, in an office. Now, those of you who know me, you think, what on earth did you do in an office? Well, I thought that as well. I, I, I was thinking that as well, frankly. Um, but, but I knew God had called me. And I knew this, that unless, that, that, I'm not saying you have to go to Bible college or anything like that if you're going to serve the Lord. But that was the route for me. I knew that that's what God wanted me to do. And so I did that. Do you know, if I hadn't have changed, I wouldn't be standing here now. God wouldn't have been able to have done the next step from that step if I hadn't have been willing to take a step. But the thing is this, it took an awful lot of faith at that time and I was learning. The first thing was that I had an old beat up Morris Minor, JMX 761B. It was grey and it had holes in the bottom And, and when it rained it kicked up water into the floor and made the carpets wet and it stunk the car out so I took the carpets out so I could see the road going along underneath. But I could afford to run it because I had a proper job. And then God called me to go. No grant. I had to pay for the privilege of living in squalor at Bible College at that time without income. And I said to the Lord, well, that's the car gone then, isn't it? I can't afford to keep that that old crate going. But I do need to get up there. And do you know what? God spoke to me. I was reading the Psalms and he said this, some trust in horses and some in chariots but we will remember the name of the Lord. Do you know that moment I had a peace come over me. I went to Barber college in September and in the half term I was given a four year old car. And I never had a problem running it. And you know and to this day I've never had trouble with transport. I've always had that because I believed that was God's word to me for that particular time. Isn't that great? And then I was going to get married. when I came out of Bible college and I and I and I worked 3 days was it 3 days a week in a church and 2 days on a building site and I got about I don't know 50 quid a week. And I was getting married. And my mum, bless her heart, who later became a Christian, got baptised and she's with Jesus right now where she belongs. Isn't that great? Yeah? She looked at me one day and she'd already begged me not to go to Bible college two years earlier because she thought I'd gone round the bend. But you know I'm sane, so it's fine. But she was really worried. But then I was getting married with no income. She said to me, David, I know I was in trouble. It's David. You're getting married? I said, yes where are you going to live, and what you're going to live on. Good questions. Very good. I said, Mum, I don't know. Wrong answer. I don't know. Because I didn't know. I said, but when, when it works out, don't you say to me, cool, that was a bit of luck, wasn't it? Don't you dare say that to me, when it works out. Um... I must admit, I was a kept man for a couple of years when my wife worked at Cheam High School. She got a teaching job down here from the Midlands. And then a couple in the church at Croydon, their relatives had died. They moved into a posh house in Addiscombe, and their masonette in South Croydon was still theirs. So they rented it to us for £15 a week. Where are you going to live? I'm going to live there, a two-bedroom flat with a garden. And what are you going to live on? My wife. <laughs> Boom. But you see, if I'd have been sensible, I wouldn't have done any of that. I'd have lived to provide. No, we don't live to provide. We live for Jesus, and he provides. You see how it works. There's a culture challenge. that The church will always be counter and different To what the world's like, but in a good way. We must be in a good way. Not weird, not stupid, not judgmental, not odd. But there is a huge challenge where the church needs to love people. And yet, do you know something? There's also a a, a temptation for us to compromise with the standards of people. Well, we don't do that. We, We can't do what's not right in here before God But we love people who we don't agree with. And the biggest lie is this. If you don't agree with me, you don't love me. That's not true. We can disagree, but we love people. There's an attitude and a focus of faith. Need to be transformed, don't we, by the renewing of our mind. And uh, it's a bit of a process. Uh, when When the mind of the master becomes the master of our mind that's what he wants and thirdly and finally there's an attitude of heart <laughs> our hearts don't mean the physical blood pump but that very centre of our being that which is the, what our greatest desire about our hearts are so central above all it says in Proverbs guard your heart for everything you do flows from it where your heart is is what you'll do if you want to if, you want so, if your heart is set on something, it doesn't matter what it takes, you will do it. Who's got a mortgage? Yeah. Right, I'll tell you what. If you were told, and it was true, you'd won a competition on the television, and you were told that if you would, could get to Glasgow by 4 o'clock in the morning, and you will have a cheque that pays the whole of your mortgage off. No, I won't bother. You'd be there. Yeah, but the train tickets are very expensive at that time. You wouldn't care. You would do anything, for and I don't blame you. I would. Any of us would. Because that would really touch a big need in your life. Do you know what? I believe God wants to touch our hearts in such a way that they're so centered on him, that we'll do anything for him. I know, that's a tall order, isn't it? But Saul hardened his heart. He refused to take responsibility for his errors. and, And he did something that I don't think we do too much here. He took himself too seriously. He took himself too seriously. He thought he was more. You see, the problem with Saul is he looked impressive. He was a handsome young man, head and shoulders, head taller than anybody else. Do you know how we look is important you know there's that joke about you know Christians wear sandals and socks I hope there's nobody <laughs> but you can look a bit odd but that's not really what matters what matters is this what we're like and you know our leadership team we made a, a value judgment once and we said this that and, let me just read it right that show an appearance will never be more important than substance we don't want to be slick no chance of that is it really eh? we want to be real yeah we want to do things well but what's more important is the attitude of heart Saul was too engrossed in what people thought about him and how he looked he overstepped his grace Samuel told him don't make a sacrifice until I get there but he did make a sacrifice that he shouldn't and he wasn't empowered to do Samuel told him to wait but Saul relied on human ways he used one of these screwdrivers and made a meal of it instead of going with with the electric one he thought to himself I need to do that. Now, do you know what? God has given us brains. We do think things through. But there are certain times when divine wisdom must take over, and we need to be obedient. And he should have been obedient. See, what was happening, the Philistines were going to come down against him. And he says, I haven't sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And then when Samuel came, he says, what have you done? Oh yeah, but the men were scattering and you didn't come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling. So I thought I've got to do something. Don't get pressured into doing something that is not what God wants you to do. We will get pressure. We will get peer pressure. We'll get circumstantial pressure. And he got it wrong and that was the key to him losing his kingdom. And then he justified his errors. Yeah, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission you assigned me. I completely destroyed the enemy and brought back their king when God had told him to actually destroy everything. He was always right. He refused to change. And let me tell you that we must never have that attitude. We need to always be ready to change our mind as God leads us, to constantly change course, to constantly repent, to change our mind and change our direction. He also hid amongst the baggage. He literally did that at one time. When he was going to be anointed as king, they couldn't find him. So he was hiding amongst this big pile of baggage. Right? But he also let the baggage of his life remain. Now, we all have had experiences and bad stuff happen to us in our lives. And it affects us and it can affect us negatively and then when we try and move forward we're hampered because we're carrying heavy limiting Baggage in our lives that God wants us to get rid of, and then we make excuses. Well, I can't do this because I can't do this because when I tried it before, this happened. And then what you actually start doing is you hide in the baggage of your bad experiences. And God says, Look, you've got to come out from that baggage, you've got to re- refuse that baggage, and God's got something better for you. Don't hide amongst it, get rid of it. If Saul had only been obedient and allowed God into the parts of his life that needed his touch, he could have been different. It could have been. He led, as I said, for 20 years with yesterday's anointing. David was different. Samuel was sent with a new flask of oil to impart an anointing upon him. He didn't really look the part. He looked young and healthy, but his parents didn't even consider him. They brought all the sons to be anointed, and not one of them was the right man. And he just left David in the field with a sheep because he didn't look the part. He was too small. He was this, that and the other. He wasn't even considered. He didn't look impressive. But it says this, the Lord doesn't look at the things people like at, Look at the heart. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And then he took a stand. He didn't hide in the baggage. His brother's attitude towards him was pretty negative. And yet when Goliath was there, he stood up. He took a stand because he knew the anointing of God upon him. He didn't get baggaged down with the thoughts of what his brothers thought. And he also didn't get baggaged down with the armour that Saul wanted to put on him. He just did what he did, because he was who he was before God. And he also repented. Remember I said he did some awful things. Well, when he was confronted. He didn't make an excuse. He didn't deny it. He didn't try and justify it. He threw himself on God and said, I have sinned and I repent. And I believe that is why David is a man after God's heart. Not that he got things right all the time, because none of us stand a chance if that's what we've got to do. But because when he got it wrong, he put it right. Saul's kingdom was limited and eventually lost. David's became an eternal kingdom. Jesus is called the son of God but also the son of David. His line, his genealogy, David's genealogy goes right the way down to Jesus because he was a man after God's heart. That's why Samuel was told, look, today's man, stop mourning for yesterday's and anoint tomorrow's. Let's plan for the future. Let's put things right that change things now and determine what's going to happen in the future. So what are we holding on to that we need to let go of? What stuff in our lives do we keep doing, it's not actually working. It could be damaging. It could be ineffective. The way we conduct relationships. A lot of relationships get into a lot of trouble. Perhaps they need a change. I don't mean walk out. I mean a change. God's got a key, like he had a key to that village where the Bible College was. And if there's something different or a different approach, perhaps God can speak to us about that. Our attitudes. Things need to change. Are we so wrapped up in what people think of us that we're not willing to humble ourselves and say, oh, I got that wrong? How about our reputation? What about materialism? It was a good one. Um, one thing I like about Wes... Well, the only thing, really, no. No, one of the things I like about Wes is he's very open, isn't he? He's quite honest. No, he's very honest. And he says, I find it hard to give money. He said, You said that, didn't you? Yeah. You can't say that. You're a Christian. Oh, I love to give to Jesus. It's <coughs> a lie. He said, I find it hard to give. Um, bless you. That's good. I hope you do give, you better give, but anyway, that's another thing. But you know, something, that can actually be a snare, the love of money. And sometimes our lives are bound up and limited because we've got an attitude of meanness. When God wants us to be generous. I don't just mean in giving money, but I mean in our attitude to material things you will be amazed, amazed, at what God can do if you're willing to let go of what you hold on to. Just saying. Worth a try. And I know there are people here who have experienced that. So perhaps there needs to be a change. Well, Saulness, all those things that he did will undermine and destroy us. But Davidness. <laughs> will enable us to know his anointing and a new freedom. And I want to ask God just to speak to us for a few moments. And at times like this, it's never to kind of, oh, you know, put you in a, on a spot or make you feel bad about yourself. But it's an opportunity to say, Lord, do you know what? There's a time for change in me. There's a time for change. Uh, I'm doing my best. I've done my best. Or you might say, well, you know, I know what I've been doing isn't particularly good. Hey, do you know what? You can get the heart of David and stop mourning after what doesn't work anymore and embrace the new. Let's bow our heads for a moment, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your love and goodness to us. You are constantly speaking into our lives, watching over us, protecting us, your hand is upon us. And Lord, I want to just ask that you will help us to make changes. Not that Dave Smith has said from the front, but as you direct us, help us to make adjustments, to turn around from things that we know aren't cutting it so that we can be in that place where your blessing, where your enabling will help us and equip us in Jesus' name. And we pray for the church as well. We thank you that we have a call and a purpose in this area. But Lord, help us never to get stale. Help us never to keep doing the same old, same old if you're saying, do something different. Father, help us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.